Good morning. I invite your attention to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 16. My text will be found in verse number 18. The title of my message is The Church of Christ. Note in your bulletins that there were two hymns to the same tune included in the bulletin. The hymn we sang was written by John Calvin. He was a prolific writer on theological subjects and an eminent preacher wrote his messages out. But to the best of our knowledge, he wrote only five hymns. Only two of them had been translated into English. And we sang that one this morning, I greet thee who my sure Redeemer art. Then after this message this morning, we will sing the second hymn to the tune. Actually, it was to be to the tune of Toulon, which was composed by Louis Bourgeois who was a song leader in Geneva at the time of John Calvin and one of the foremost hymn or tune writers for the Geneva Psalter. And the hymn we're going to sing at the Lord's Table by Horatius Bonar is probably my favorite hymn for the Lord's Table. Here, O my Lord, I see thee face to face. So glad to see all of you here this morning on this cold and snowy morning and delighted that the Lord has enabled us to be here safely this morning. It's good to see some who have not been feeling well lately are here with us today and and, uh, we pray that the others that are still ill will be able to be back with us soon. Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now consider, he identifies himself as the Son of Man. Our Lord was an humble person. Did not speak of himself here as the Son of God. He said, I'm just the Son of Man. But who do men say that I am? And Simon Peter, Both his names, Simon and Peter, have to do with the word rock. We're going to come to that directly. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son, pardon me, verse 14. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, who has already been called to glory, martyred for his faith, beheaded because of his faithfulness to the gospel. 
John the Baptist. Some say you're John the Baptist. Come back. Some say you are Elias or Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. All these prophets were eminent men, had already been called to glory. And here comes Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. And people are saying, looks like one of the prophets has come back to visit us. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And here's my text. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're going to look at that subject of the church of Christ. I will build my church, Jesus said. That word translated church in our English text means congregation, assembly. It actually does not so much refer to a building. It is more of the congregation and the assembly that is in the building. That's the church. Jesus is talking about a church he will build on a rock that will Never cease. Now, when you read the scriptures, you'll find sometimes the word churches and sometimes the word church. It is because the Lord has many churches or congregations. We have one right here in Great Falls. But then there is another aspect of this church in which there is but one over all the earth. We're speaking of that church this morning. That's the church of which Jesus here speaks when he says, I will build my church. He does not say I will build my churches. I will build my church. His churches are being built by him, but he here is speaking of that one congregation, that one assembly, that one church that he is building and that which will never cease. Churches generally last for a generation. There was a time when this church was not here, did not exist. I wish I could say that it will always continue here. It doesn't work that way, folks. What we here enjoy in Great Falls will probably be like just about all other churches and it'll serve our generation, perhaps the generation of our children. And then churches just go their own way. That's sad. That is so very sad. But here is one church 
<laughs> and the gates of hell shall never prevail against her. We're going to consider her this morning. We're going to consider, first of all, that Christ is the owner and master of his church. He calls it my church. My church. <laughs> it's mine. I want to be in his church. I want to be in that church of which Jesus says, Moses is in my church. I care not to be in the churches of others, but if I could be in his, my church. This is God's congregation which you have purchased of old. Psalm 40, uh, 74, verse 2. Notice, your congregation which you purchased of old. When was the church of Christ purchased? Well, you may say at Calvary. That's true. That's true. We're going to come to that in a moment. But here is an Old Testament text. A thousand years or more, Jesus Christ died on Calvary, and the psalmist says, you purchased your congregation a long time ago, of old. When would that have been? Before the foundation of the world, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, shed in that lamb slain from the foundation of the world. From old eternity, God has purchased his congregation. There was never a time when God had an unredeemed congregation on this earth. Of old you have purchased your congregation from old eternity. Second, this is the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Acts 20 verse 28. Now, watch that statement very carefully. It is the church of God, which he, who is God, purchased with his own blood. Now that is awesome. God's blood purchased his church. Explain that to me, please. <laughs> The church of God, which God purchased with God's own blood. God is spirit. Has no blood, no flesh, no sinew, no muscle. Except in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man. And when he died on Calvary, he who is God purchased the church of God. With God's own blood. Third, this is the church which is Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church which is his body. Scriptures do not speak of individual churches such as this one as being the body of Christ. If so, Christ would have many bodies, but he has only one. There is one body. And all of us are members of it. All of us who through faith in Jesus Christ have come to be, God, be God's children. We're all in this one body. There is one body across the face of this earth. One body. 
It is his church. He's the head of it. Number four, this is the church whose ministers are appointed by God. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, the twelve of the New Testament, second the prophets, those of the Old Testament, and third the teachers, or in another passage, pastor teachers. There's one standing in front of you this morning. He is not an apostle. He is not a prophet. But he is a teacher. Hopefully he's going to be teaching something this morning. And hopefully it will be easily understood and you will learn. The Lord has put these in here. Why? He gives a reason for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, other churches have their own ministers, but we're looking at the church that Jesus calls my church. Fifth, this is the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Notice, general assembly. It is comprised of all God's children. Who are they? All whose names are written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Their names are registered in heaven. God's got a book, a book of life. They're in heaven. And the names of all God's elect chosen in Christ before time began are inscribed therein. And this church is comprised of all whose names are there recorded. This is the congregation of the righteous, Psalm 1-5. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Then we read about the unjust. And we read, They shall not stand in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord has a congregation of the righteous. It is also called the congregation of the just. It is people who are righteous in God's sight. They are righteous. through the imputation of the righteousness wrought by Jesus Christ unto them. They are righteous by God's grace. They are righteous through a righteous nature having been put into them when they became partakers of the divine nature. They stand upright in God's presence. There may be sinners in our local congregations. There is none in the congregation of the righteous. Not a single one. This is furthermore, this is the house of God, which is the church of the living God. God's church is a house. And by the way, in that house is a family, and it also is his church. This church is a very comprehensive thing. Number eight, this church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the truth. This pillar upholds Christ to the world. This ground is stable. I would hope that Christ is being upheld this morning. Here in Great Falls, 
on steady ground and a high and strong pillar. This is the way it is in the pillar and ground of the truth. Number nine, this church is comprised of Christ's brethren. He declares to his father, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing praise to you. I never read that text without being reminded that Jesus said, I will sing praise to you in the midst of the congregation. I hope you do not thank me to be irreverent when I say I would have loved to have heard him sing. (laughs) And he did. He did. On the night that he established and ordained the Lord's Supper, the scripture says, They sang a hymn. Jesus concluded the Lord's Supper and said, Brethren, let us sing. And they sang a song. And Jesus sang with them. Well, if Jesus would sing in the congregation, then we should not be silent, should we? In the midst of the congregation, I will sing praise to you, he says. And if you're going to sing with Jesus, <laughs> and you do, he's here this morning, walking up in the midst of his churches. He's singing with us. You just didn't hear him. But bear in mind, he sings nothing but hymns that are of praise to God. I will sing praise to you. Let me say this. Our brother Mitch said this morning, Request Sunday. So we're going to sing requests. I rejoice at the hymns you folks requested. <laughs> when I can read my title clear to mansions in the sky. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And uh, it's good when you get a request Sunday and These are all hymns that Jesus would sing with us. This church is Christ's wife. His wife. He betrothed her to himself. In Hosea 2.19 he said, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in loving kindness, in mercy, in faithfulness, and you shall know that I am Jehovah. I asked a woman to marry me. (laughs) Jehovah says, I didn't ask you. I betrothed you to me. I betrothed you to me. And you will know who I am. And I'm going to show you the glory of my salvation. He identified himself to her as both her maker and God. In Isaiah 54, 5, saying, Your your maker is your husband, and Jehovah of hosts is his name. 
I suppose there are men, surely none within these walls, but uh, there are some men somewhere who would like to be able to make their own wife. And, uh, or some men say that, you know, you're perfect, but then they try to change her and make her into something else. <laughs> well, Jehovah did make his own wife, and she is perfect. Your maker is your husband, and Jehovah of hosts is his name. Now, I want you to notice that all the texts we've considered thus far are in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. Some say the Church of Christ is simply a New Testament entity, having no existence in the Old Testament. Not true. Not true. Jehovah in the spiritual realm has ever had only one church. He has never divorced her. She has never left him. From Old Testament times, she's described in Ephesians 5. I'm not going to take the time to explain it. It's a lengthy passage. But I will tell you this. He says, I will present you to myself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And she'll be married to him at the marriage of the Lamb. At the end of this day, at the end of this day and age in which we live, when our Lord Jesus returns to earth, he's going to gather his church and it's going to be a marriage. And Jesus and his bride will be wed. They are betrothed now, but they're betrothed in the Hebrew sense. They're not merely engaged as we do in our Occidental cultures. But according to Oriental culture, when you betrothed yourself to a woman, you were married. Legally married. The marriage was not yet consummated, but you were legally married. And here is Jesus Christ saying, I have betrothed you to me. You are mine. And at the end, at the final day, this going to be a marriage ceremony. And then through eternity, she is called the Lamb's wife. She's descending from God out of heaven. And the angel says to John, come, let me show you the lamb's wife, the wife of Jesus Christ. Notice, descending from God out of heaven, adorned, oh, so beautifully. Well, that's his church. That's Christ's church. I will build my church. This is the church that Jesus is building. Consider the second main point. Christ is the founder and builder of the church. He says, I will build my church. And this is in fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah 6 verse 12. Jehovah said, he will build my temple. Ah, the church is a temple as well. A temple. He did not say he will build a tabernacle. He said he will build a temple. There's a difference between a tabernacle and a temple. Both the tabernacle and the temple are houses of worship. Israel worshipped in the tabernacle in the wilderness. In the day of Solomon, 
no longer in a tabernacle, but in a temple. <coughs> tabernacle was a tent. You take it down and move it along. It wears out eventually. A temple is a permanent structure. And Jehovah says he shall build a temple. <laughs> a temple. It will never cease from the earth. Christ is yet building his church. He says, I will build my church. Some men have talked about the church that Jesus built. Well, he's not yet built it. He's building it. It is still under construction. And we as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. And every time the Lord saves one of his children, he cuts that stone out shapes it out and lays it course by course and level upon level. And he's still building this house. As long as the Lord is saving people, the Lord is still building this house. And the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. As soon as they were saved, they were added to the church. This is the church that Jesus is building he adds a member to it every time he saves that one. Third, Christ is the rock and foundation of his church. He said, on this rock I will build my church. Now, some say, but he was talking about Peter. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. But look carefully, and it does not show up that much in our English text. But in the Greek text, Jesus says, you are Petros. And on this Petra, I will build my church. There's a difference, a subtle difference in the Greek words. Petros, a small stone. Petra, an immovable rock. And Jesus says, upon this Petra, I will build my church. He didn't say, I'm going to build it on Peter. Some say, the Lord built a church on Peter. I suppose some folk are content to be built on a church built on some man. I never want to be a member of a church that was built on some man. Jesus says, I will build my church on this rock. This rock is Jesus Christ himself. It'll never fall. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, A wise man built his house upon a rock. <laughs> Petra, rock, a wise man. Was there ever a wiser man on this earth than Jesus Christ? He built a house. Where did he build it? On the sand? No, on a rock. And it's still standing. The winds have come, the billows have come, the waves have assailed. And because Christ is the rock on which Christ the wise man built his house, it still stands. And he is the cornerstone and foundation of his church. Isaiah 28, 16, he is the precious cornerstone and sure foundation. Now what is a cornerstone? All right, it's the most important part 
of building a house, a cornerstone. Notice it has corners, four of them. It's rectangular in shape. You dig your foundation, you put your foundation down in the earth. And you have this rectangular cornerstone. You lay it down into the earth. And the walls are going to follow the lines on that cornerstone. Wherever they go, it's going to be square. The building's going to be square. There's the cornerstone. That marks the place where the building is being built. That marks the place where the foundation begins to be laid. Notice that Jesus Christ is a precious cornerstone and a sure foundation. What is a sure foundation? If you're going to build a house, you're going to go down until you hit rock. If you cannot find rock, you make one. <laughs> you pour your concrete in there to make, to make a rock. Well, Jesus Christ has become the rock of this church. It's a precious cornerstone. It's a sure foundation. And then number four, the final point. Christ is the preserver of this church. He said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Greek word here translated hell is Hades. Hades. That's the place to which the departed went when they died. And prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, it was both the righteous and the unrighteous. They all went to Hades. It was the abode of the dead. Two places in Hades. One was a place of torment and the other was Abraham's bosom. The rich man in Lazarus showed this to us to be true. But everyone who died went to Hades prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there are gates of Hades. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, we read about the gates of Sheol. Sheol corresponds to Hades. Sheol is the Hebrew word in the Old Testament. Hades is the Greek word in the New Testament. They both mean the same thing. In the book of Job, we read about the dead going through the gates of Sheol. Everyone who died went through those gates, either into the place of torment in Hades or to Abraham's bosom in Hades. The church of Christ will never go through those gates. She will never die. She will never die. She will never cease from the earth. But notice that Jesus used the verb prevail. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against my church. Prevailing suggests conflict, combat, war, battles. Now, Satan is confined 
regarding what he can do to the church of Christ right now. He's been bound for a thousand years. He's on a leash and doesn't mean he's completely inactive. He's not. He's permitted to do things against the church of Christ. He's used many men to wage battles and warfares against the church of Christ. But in the book of Revelation chapter 20, we read that when the thousand years are fulfilled, Satan shall be released from his prison and shall go forth out into all the world, seek earth, deceiving the nations, Gog and Magog, and they shall surround the beloved city. What this world has seen thus far in persecution and tribulation will pale in comparison to what's going to happen in that day when Satan is released. When the church of Christ is completely besieged. They shall besiege the holy city. A battle will be fought. The church will have a battle like she has never fought before. Besieged by the very gates of hell. Satan having mustered all his demonic forces and his forces in the earth. The gates of Hades have opened and here he comes. Besieging the city. And it will appear that all is about to be lost. And there, the eastern sky is opened. And here comes Emmanuel, El Shaddai. The gates of hell shall not prevail. He will not permit it. When it appears that all is gone, when it appears the church has no hope, when it appears that finally her name will be wiped from the earth. No, no, no. Here he comes. El Shaddai. If you've never read the book about man's soul by John Bunyan, you probably have read Pilgrim's Progress. You need to read The Holy War. And find out, and, and Bunyan in his allegorical manner has just brilliantly set forth how it is that El Shaddai comes to save this church. And he will. Because Jesus will not let Satan and even all the forces of hell destroy his church. Other religions will be destroyed. They have their day. Other sects, denominations, they come, they thrive, they go. But here is a church that will ever prevail. Christ's church will live forever. Praise the God who preserves her. Note what we read in Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory 
in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory in the church. Did you catch that expression? To him be glory in the church. There is only one entity in all this world that gives glory to Jesus Christ, truly gives glory to Jesus Christ, and that is his church. The wicked have risen up. The heathen are in rebellion against Jehovah and his anointed. Religions give lip service to him. Jesus says of them, you're drawing near to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. They want to bear his name, call ourselves a church of Christ, but do what they want to do. Some nations have at times claimed to be Christian nations. This nation did at one time. Do you suppose they think so now? Does anybody think this is a Christian nation nowadays? I say to you, it never was, really. But uh, there is one entity. Unto him be glory in the church. Now listen, friend. Either you are opposed to Jesus Christ out in the world or you are in religion giving mere lip service to him or you are in his church glorifying him, exalting him, praising him. And I hope that before you walk out that door today, you can confess, I'm in his church, his church, and I will glorify him forever. Let the world forsake him. Let them turn against him. Let them give lip service that they will. I not only will draw nigh to him with my lips, but my heart will be joined to his. That, my friend, is the church of Christ. And, O oh God, our Father, to the glory of your name and to the honor of your Son, Jesus Christ, build us. If you will not, we cannot build ourselves. Build us. Put us on yourself. And enable us to give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.